0: I'm Johnny McKean, former host of Old Ute Radio. You are listening to the new and improved version of Old Ute Radio.
1: Matt Money Smith here from the Petro and Money Show, saying a big what up, Utes, to all of you listening right now on KUte Radio.
2: I love me some meat. Hot, dog. Hot dog. <laughs>
3: You are listening to KU Radio's only podcast, OU Radio. It's with tremendous pleasure I bring in OU Radio's new co-host, Rebecca.
4: You can tune in to OU Radio Tuesdays from 5 to 8 p.m. at 801-585-3449. You're listening to All Ute Radio. You Radio. How are you? Good.
3: I really enjoyed that embarrassment with my laptop there. I thought. It was, like <laughs> it was cute. A, it
4: was an adventure.
3: Yeah. You're listening to k Internet Radio, correct? <laughs> this is All You Radio.
4: It sure is.
3: And you're Becca.
4: And you're Sasha. Yes, ma'am. That's what we're going to start doing. <laughs> introduce
3: each other. Very slowly. How Important are you?
4: Important people never introduce themselves. Um, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah? Busy.
3: What are you busy doing?
4: Mm-hmm. just classes
3: how's do you like your professors do you have any like horrible professors
4: no all my professors have accents though because I'm taking a Spanish class obviously so she's native Colombian but then one of my professors is um speaks Dutch uh-huh. primarily I believe and then the TA for one of my labs is Russian and those are the only like in-person <laughs> professors I have because everything else is online. And so on Mondays, I have every class, and so I go from, like, one accent to the next accent, and I'm always, like, trying to, ke- like, keep up. It gets intense.
3: It's part of the charm of the U, though. I know. I like it. It's interesting that you are you have such diversity with professors because Not this at- week the University of Utah is celebrating diversity through Martin Luther King Jr.
4: And something exciting is happening on Friday.
3: We have lots of things happening on well, we should start at the beginning of the calendar. I think I have to say this first and foremost. The KU Radio and the University of Utah Chronicle are joining forces. We're bringing the journalism, journalists from KU, the journalists from the Chronicle, and we're creating a new show. Two hours every Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Every Friday? Mm-hmm.
4: 9 to 11. Yes.
3: And we have dedicated and good journalists. I know... There will be several that will be working professionally. And the Chronicle is a good team too. So we're going to be doing a lot of audio stories. I know that one thing we're going to be doing is in January, the 2014 Utah State Legislative Sessions are happening. Guess who's getting the media pass? You. Guess who's bringing all the funny and bad from up in the hill? This dummy. Yes. When is this? well, I don't know the exact dates, but it's it usually comes around the end of January and goes three or four weeks into February. Uh, and yeah. my goal is to be there two days a week. Minimum. <laughs> Minimum. Minimum. <laughs> and all my free time goes to watching it on the Internet. Like I've played it for you. We might have to have play a recap later in the show of some congressmen singing. Or
4: oh, s- my gosh. The <laughs> guy you, with the guitar.
3: Have Representative Peterson.
4: Representative (laughs) Peterson with the guitar, he sang the schedule, or the calendar. Yes. It was so good.
3: It was so embarrassing. And then, so, (laughs) it's just uh, beautiful. (laughs) And then, so then Thursday, the University of Utah gets shook up. What? But before we go there, let's do Representative Peterson. Me up.
5: Oh, Father. Oh, that's we do not a rep- pray This is a good prayer, though. Simply because it's a time honored tradition. <laughs> but because it represents the true needs Who of others. Who's this hearts. again. Every dollar bill that crunches in the hand this and, one. and every coin that clanks on the floor reminds <laughs> us of the words that are imprinted in them. In God we trust. We oh, depend boy. on you. We wait on you. <laughs> because you're the maker of heaven and earth. We give thanks for your new mercies today. We ask that you would bless this session, that you would pour down wisdom from above, that these representatives can make wise and good decisions. We ask that you would guide their discussion today. For our nation, O oh God, we ask that you would bless us, that you would shine your face upon us. We ask that you would protect our military members abroad, that you would give worth to their sacrifice and courage to their hearts today. We pray that you would bring them home safely to their friends and families. For these and boundless other blessings we ask in your name. Amen. it's yeah, so we... like
4: the weirdest prayer I've still ever heard, and I've heard like a lot of prayers in my time.
3: Yeah, I really like the loose change. like <laughs> <laughs>
4: Every quarter that clanks onto the ground <laughs> yeah. reminds us of the words.
3: That wasn't Representative Peterson, but I will look for a song later when we go on a break. And (laughs) that was a funny segue.
4: (laughs) What happens Thursday?
3: We have shaking what Trayvon Martin's mother Mm. coming in. We're efforting very hard to get a interview with her. How's it going? Well, I'm hearing that there's free time for me to interview her. I'm also hearing that she's not doing sit down interviews, so I'm going to do my best to get a stand up interview, right? So you're not gonna sit down.
4: You can Let's probably stand catch up and talk. her like walking, you know. Yeah,
3: because I have my task cam and microphone and headphones <laughs> on, and you know, I'll be like, hey, what it is?
4: What <laughs> it is?
3: Yeah. No, but I really want to talk to her on the concepts of forgiveness and how do you grieve when you lose a son. I'm very interested to see her speech because I've been doing a lot of research on her. You know, for those of you who, who don't know, and I don't know why you wouldn't, but. Her son was shot by George Zimmerman in Florida, mm-hmm. right, under the Stand Your Ground laws. And he was not sent to prison for murder. He was acquitted. And, but that's not what I want to talk to her about. Like, I want nothing to do with that political issue. Because I don't know if it's fair for a student journalist, because that's how I'm representing myself, mm-hmm. to ask her about that. Like, that's a George Stephanopoulos thing to do, right? <laughs> or Brent Huntsucker. Huntsucker. <laughs> they can do that. Me, I want to talk to her about forgiveness. I want to talk to her about what it was like to come to the national spotlight one day. You're just an everyday citizen. The next thing you're the face for this movement of equality or do justice or justice in general. So we have that Thursday. I will be there at at her speech that she's giving Mm -hmm. on campus. When's that? Thursday, and I'll come back with times in the next half hour and we'll redo that. And then so I'll record that for everybody and then we'll put that on KU for those of you who are in class, who can't be on campus, who can't get tickets because I know it's going to be sold out. Yeah. So you will be able to hear it at KU. And then Friday from 2 to 5 p.m., Keith McDonald and myself are doing a show on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We're celebrating Dr. Martin King Jr.'s life. We're going to kind of go from a 1770s look of the African American to today. And obviously I'm not qualified <laughs> to do that speech. Like I, I kind of get the historical impacts and aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna have three people come in studio, one from diversity and equality. They're gonna bring somebody in and they're gonna talk to us about how minority students um, get involved on campus, scholarships, all that kind of good stuff. And then we'll be having a professor coming in I don't want to give out names in case they cancel. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I'm not doing that. (laughs) In case we gotta find someone else. But they will be taking us through a historical aspect of the black man and woman in America. We also will have tons of speeches from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've pulled some quotes of other historically famous people talking about their experiences with him. And then we have a woman coming from the Women's Resource Center to give us an African American woman's perspective on being black in America. So it's going to be heavy, but it's going to be good. And it's going to be recorded. It's going to be recorded. So I'm going to be a very busy monkey doing all this cutting and editing. This but week. this is what we're trying to do at the University of Utah uh, journalism program. We're we're really trying to keep the journalists in here instead of spending all their efforts doing other dumb things. Like mm-hmm. If you're going to do dumb things, do one dumb thing for KU and the Chronicle And we'll put it on there for you. Yeah. So that's the goal.
4: That is cool. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited. I hope I, well, I'm sure tickets for uh, Trayvon Martin's mother's speech are probably already sold out. Oh, I imagine. I would think so. Apparently. I was just thinking, wondering when my classes are because I'd like to go, but.
3: I'll tape it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually meeting with the audio guy tomorrow. So I can figure out how not to bother him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when we go, because we've got to go to break here in a minute. Uh-huh. But when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about sexism and racism. Just find out how what's happened with you. got
4: the re- stories. We should, like, cut and tape, cut all the stories from, like, <laughs> just last semester. <laughs> <laughs> Collage them into one. <laughs> I'm excited to tell everyone about our new segment coming this semester.
3: So, S- Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, will be here Thursday, January sixteenth, two thousand fourteen, twelve to one thirty, at the ballroom, the Union, A Ray Open Union Building. So that's the second floor.
4: Yes. If you don't count the uh, basement. Yeah. If you don't count the basement. Uh, yeah. That's the second floor. The east entrance. It's just. the floor that you walk into but if you're coming from inside campus yeah you'll find it yeah it's pretty and it's not that
3: big i mean it was probably 400 people in there yeah
4: that's not a very big venue Mm -hmm. for something that big
3: yeah i'm very curious to see what she has to say because i've seen her with uh you know some of the big heavies in the black community you know calling out for justice for her son but that didn't happen, at least from their perspective. Uh-huh. So I guess her intention is that she wants to she wants to talk about uh, raise awareness to racial and ethnic and gender profiling. That's what she's doing? That's her thesis. That's what they're saying. And that's a very interesting paradigm, I think, for a woman of, of her caliber. So we'll see.
4: That's interesting. Yeah. I want to be there. I should just lurk behind the ballroom like... Just sit in the <laughs> union front, like, by the front desk and just sit there. are well like you go on campus? Tomorrow? Thursday. Or Thursday. Uh, From noon? 12 to one thirty. Yeah, I get out of a class, like,
3: I have a press 15 pass. minutes before. You want a press pass? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be a journalist for a day. <laughs> yeah.
4: Do it all,
3: like s- radio style.
4: I'll, like, I'll even bring, like, a little notepad and I'll Ooh. sketch away. Ooh. I'll try to do, like, pictures of her while she's speaking. You have a camera? Yeah. Why don't you take some pictures? I can sketch them, though. I can't sketch them, actually, but I could try. Like a a courtroom sketch (laughs) artist. Those are the coolest things. Yes. Whenever I see those, I think that's the coolest job.
3: I wonder if they sell them.
4: They get them like right in the heat of the moment and yeah. they like, they draw them out all. It's so cool.
3: Angry and sad and confused and baffled. <laughs> I know. The OJ Simpson ones are really good.
4: I've never seen them.
3: Oh, I bet we could pull I them out. I've up probably online.
4: seen like one because of.
3: I wonder if there's an Maybe. archive of that kind of stuff. Let's
4: find it. <laughs> I would browse it for so long. <laughs> I think it's the coolest. <laughs> Even police sketch artists? Yeah. People? how (laughs) if i tried to describe like me to someone or even describe you i sit and look at you for three hours a week for the last semester is that a good thing
2: (laughs) yeah and i
4: think i could attempt but like who who could actually draw you just from my words god besides god
2: (laughs) i don't
3: know
4: it's crazy when you see police sketches and then they have the perp right there and they're Right next to each other, it's like the they same. kind of have the
3: martiany like jaw. <laughs> <laughs> like they're the shadowing. They always weird. look scary, the but like little black glasses.
4: <laughs> but they look exactly the same, and you're just sitting there, wondering how, they did that. Uh-huh. Police sketch people are psychic. You think? Yeah.
3: You believe in psychics and all that?
4: I kind of, I do. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think like, I don't. The psychics on T V. Mm-hmm. They have their own shows now. Sylvia Brown. There's is <laughs> I don't know the one's name. She looks like a real housewife of New Jersey or something. She looks sort <laughs> of like porn star.
3: <laughs> she's modern. Like younger or older?
4: Older though.
3: So she's got the glossy hair. She's and
4: high Yeah. Bumps and, and and very like bright shiny lipstick shit. and huge eyelashes and fake boobs. <laughs> But she's a psychic, allegedly.
3: How old is this lady?
4: She's, like, in her maybe late 40s.
3: Hmm. I wonder if Tim Robbins and her go on dates.
4: I can find her. I'll find <laughs> the show. But she does the psychic sessions with people, but they record them. Yes. And she'll, like, she'll figure out all these things that are crazy and the people are all surprised. And some of them are pretty cool, but some of them you can see, like, how vague she sounds. And then the people offer up all this information. She'll be like, someone, someone doesn't like your boyfriend, someone in your family. And, and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, my <laughs> mom never liked him. And now she's dead. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting that really strong. And I'm like You just made that up. And I used to know. It's just bluff. Like half of the psychics are just bluffing and waiting for someone to just feed into it. But I do think there are psychics who are actually, in tune with
3: I used to know a girl that used to call in on a telephone to a psychic
4: the psychic hotline. Yeah.
3: (laughs) And they actually convinced her to move to a different state away from like all her family and friends.
4: They're so weird. (laughs) And like
3: her life is like like she was super financially successful here and now like she's just afloat.
4: (laughs) That it's just as it's like those those ads that are like, text us your crush's name and your name, and we'll send you back how compatible your futures are. Like, online psychic. Who thinks that's a good idea? Psychic hotlines, same thing. I wouldn't believe 90% of the psychics that have, like, do palm readings and tarot cards and things, like, commercially. But you're but religious. I, yeah.
3: Yeah, and you believe in those books and the sermons and the scriptures. There's a there's a real fine parallel between all that stuff because a lot of tarot card players and readers believe. Oh, yeah.
4: I believe, I think that there are, I would say, if I, like, just walked into one, I'd be skeptical if they were actually doing what they claim to do. Mm -hmm. But I do think people can. I believe I think there are a lot of people that are in touch that way and have that sort of gift. But I would be pretty skeptical of, like, the majority of little psychic reading places that I think are more like yahoo horoscopes
3: my (laughs) mom says she gets a lot of psychics in her office and practice Really? and that there is a very large population in this world that are psychic to some
6: degrees
4: I think that too I I believe in a lot of different astrology and horoscopes and things but I also don't think that the horoscope in Elle magazine is like (laughs) gonna actually tell me about my life but I believe that it is genuine sometimes, just not most of the time.
3: So did you did you watch on YouTube the pastor's one minute worship because he had to go watch the football game? He did a service for one minute. Mm-mm. I haven't heard it either. Should I play it? Yes. Okay, hold on. So the set is he's just walking up to his podium, right?
0: Lutheran Church. For those of you who weren't at the early service and are here, you may not be aware that there is a football game starting in just a few moments. Not that I have any vested interest in this game or the outcome of that game whatsoever, but I was thinking we might have just a little bit of an abbreviated service, so if you want to just kind of follow with me a little bit. Uh, Would you all like to be forgiven for your sins? Okay, that's great, you are. Uh, uh, I was going to talk in my message about wine and about servanthood, but I think you probably know enough about that, right? Okay, great. Uh, There's some bread and some wine up here on the table. You feel free to help yourself uh, if you'd like to. Uh, Come as you are, that's just fine. And uh, let's see, it's uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Okay, we will. Thanks be to God. Yes, and... (laughs)
3: Out here. <laughs> so he just kissed both of his biceps, pulled open his priest uniform, and revealed a San Francisco 49er shirt. <laughs> Are you for real? Y- YouTube is being for real, yes. It's called the 49er Fan Pastors Tim's One Minute Worship Service, January 12, 2014, front page of YouTube. <laughs>
2: well do
4: yeah. you Go ahead What do you even think, <laughs> think about it's, that?
3: I think that's very destructive. And it's off like <laughs> I am
4: all for it. I don't like I think it's people have to be like crazy dedicated when you're like a priest or a bishop and props like <laughs> sometimes you're human, but that's like a church. Yeah, You're in charge the of. The people
3: pay you to run. Yeah, they're they not g-
4: even volunteering.
3: So I know as a rabbi, mm-hmm. um, their congregation, and even this country of Israel, and like the rabbi's union or whatever, mm-hmm. they they all pay for the rabbi to live in these really nice houses. Mm-hmm. They pay for the Chabad house. And so he doesn't have to, w- his work is running Chabad. Do they do that in the Christian LDS?
4: Not in LDS.
3: Okay, so the pastors have their own jobs, and then they...
4: Yeah, all the bishop, every position, except, like, the general authorities, the prophet, obviously doesn't have, like, a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but every bishop and every teacher, primary, nursery, anyone, all the council are all called and then volunteer their time. I and know... they don't get paid, and they keep other jobs. Which is why a lot of times, I mean, they don't often call... People who are, like, really, really struggling to be a bishop or anything because it's a huge time commitment, they, they don't get paid mm-hmm. to do it.
3: I know that LDS peoples don't watch television on Sundays, right? Well, correct?
4: not. You're not right supposed right. to. It's like, it's a, no one says you're not supposed to. They just say keep the Sabbath day holy. Kay. And so that's whatever you think it means. You might have teachers that, like, think their opinion is the right one. And they'll be like, if you watch TV, it's a sin. But some See, people just don't out of reverence or to To just stay like focused on whatever they want to stay focused on. But most families, at least all the ones I know, Uh don't ever hold that rule.
3: The Jewish culture, you can't use any electricity, like from sun up to sun down during the Sabbath. That's where the uh, voice machine came from. The voice recording came from a rabbi who didn't want to miss his business calls. That's not. That's not a joke. That's a shoot. I didn't know that. So, if you had a priest or a pastor that did this one-minute sermon, would you ever go back?
4: I don't know. I mean, obviously, it would depend on. Okay, if that happened in an LDS church, yes, I would have problems with that bishop probably and i'm sure it wouldn't stand long he'd probably be out of there pretty quick but i don't think i would stop going to church i would just think he's an idiot
3: <laughs> would it make you want to go to a different church like i think i i think i'd be f- i wouldn't be happy about that yeah like if i were a little kid i would have been the happiest kid on the planet <laughs> you're like oh my
4: gosh Greatest man one ever. one minute today <laughs> Got there at noon, got home at 12.15. <laughs> no, I would be, as like a uh, kind of adult now, I would be not pleased with my bishop. But there are only like 100,000 other churches and different bishops. Should so I would just so we have to harbor to my anger inside. We have
3: to go to break again.
4: It always happens.
3: Yeah. Uh, we'll play a bunch of great commercials for Key Radio so they can make some... KU Internet Radio so they can make their monies and we'll do some uh, Stevie Wonder and a fantastic acoustic Beatles song.
4: We'll be right back.
3: Yes.
5: This is KU Internet Radio, the University of Utah's student radio station. Be sure to hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash KU Radio or on Twitter at K underscore UTE and let us know what you want to hear.
6: Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey
3: everybody, this is Keith Stubbs, comedian, entrepreneur, actor, and failed radio personality, and you're listening to Old Ute Radio. Jake Keenum, director of Twelve Till Dusk, and you're listening to KU Radio.
4: Welcome back to All Ute Radio on KU Internet Radio.
3: I like it. How are you?
4: The same as I was. Colder. <laughs> oh, the air just turned off. Finally. Wow, I just bundled so good, though. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'm considering my gloves right now. You look
3: like little Eskimo. I'm freezing. You look like Chilly Willy. I had double hoodies on just now. Double hoodies. <laughs> yeah. What up? <sighs> so, I would like to remind you that Trayvon Martin's mother is coming to the University of Utah Thursday, January sixteenth, two thousand fourteen, from twelve to 1.30 PM.
4: In the Union Ballroom.
3: Yes. And if you are on a Google map type of thing, it is the A Ray Olpine Union building. Mm-hmm. And you'll find it. It's gonna be packed. There's gonna be no parking. I'd probably do tracks.
4: Yeah. It's two what's the address? Two hundred south. Central Campus Drive.
3: Sounds about right. That's the one. Yeah, because uh, we gave that out to somebody that was supposed no, to. I, I wrote
4: uh, out some good directions. <laughs> yes, you I did. I a very <laughs> cordial and detailed email.
3: Yes. So how do we, I, maybe we'll get to what we were, the diversity topics later. Mm-hmm. Why don't we set a show precedent right now? Because at least I know people tune into the first hour. What is our policy when people flake on old Ute Radio? Do we ignore it like it never happened? Or do we put the person and call them out and just say, hey. Because what happened was we were supposed to have a comedian come in from 7 to 8 o'clock tonight. They were going to get promoted. Because a lot of the local comedians get to do podcasts and such. And they get th- their audience is few. But when you come to the University of Utah, you have upwards of 36,000 kids that might be listening yes. who have parent money, who like to drink, or who like to go on dates with their girls. And comedy is a great place, especially if you're a Wise Guys open micer, or you go to Wise Guys. This comedian publicly said on my Twitter line, can't wait to do radio. So you can go to my Twitter at Mr. Underscore Bloom and, and find see. find
4: out who it is. Exactly <clears> who <throat> I'm talking who about. Who flake on it. Well, just what we'll do. When someone flakes, mm-hmm. we'll call them the Frosted Flake of the Week,
3: <laughs> Julie, and we'll hot
4: see them. <laughs> hot seat. You know what I mean?
3: So, do we call them out on name? Yeah, by name.
4: I, I mean, if it's already public anyway, like if it's on the internet, it's yes. in the world anyway.
3: So, Marissa, Melissa, Merlo,
4: Merlo failed. She, she failed. that man?
3: She failed to get the pocket of the University of Utah student. Because, you know, I was very polite in my text back with her because she let me know about an hour and 40 minutes before showtime that she couldn't come in. would have been nice to have a day six hours. Two. So I could have got someone else in. And it's a
4: good thing we think so fast. Yeah. We're on our feet, you know. Because
3: I had two other people besides her that I asked to do the show for today. She text she tweeted back, like, 30 minutes before the other two gentlemen did. Yeah. And I said... What more, what better than to have a female comic in? Because there's so few of them. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think she's a little bit funny. Like, she says some funny things once in a while. And her delivery <laughs> is pretty decent. And you she's- you
4: telling me she's a comedian and says funny things once in a while.
3: Uh, that's what I'm trying to tell it's you. It's crazy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But we've had some real big comedic talent come to the studio. And the only reason why it makes me mad is not because I judge her or anything, but It's very difficult to make a good show. And so when I focus two and a half hours watching all your videos that have (laughs) 110 hits on YouTube, and I look and I read your magazine articles that the City Weekly have done, and I prep and plot to make you sound better than anyone else that you're going to do radio with, and then not to show up. It's rude.
4: It's like going on a blind date and sitting at the table until they make you leave.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got stood up tonight, didn't we? Yeah, all radio we got did. stood up. All
4: you radio was the one at the bar with like a red corsage or mm-hmm. something, waiting Left for to the get blind drunk. Date. L- Left belligerently to sit drunk alone and cry
3: and cry and get thrown out of the bar.
4: Yeah, Were well, they're gonna throw us out of the radio station. They could.
3: Well, Hatton could say, hey.
4: Will Hatton could come out of his class and walk in here and say, where's your guest? Because yeah. for
3: all of you people knowing, I try to, you know, let people know who's coming in and out of this show. You know. It's cold. So, Marissa. Melissa. Melissa Marissa. <laughs> Melissa.
4: It's like the same thing. If my mom was saying Melissa, it's, it sound like Marissa.
3: So, do you go a step further and do the whole unfollow thing?
4: Mm. Is
3: that rude? That, that's too far.
4: Yeah, it's just Twitter. Just here's the question are we gonna try to get her on again
3: well I'm, we're seriously and this is not a joke we're booked for the next five to six weeks out
4: so we just bag it
3: I don't know because how how do I know that she's reliable because like, exactly. if, if you would have told me I got the chicken pox right my foot got run over by tracks
4: not something came yeah. up
3: my boss needs me to do something but I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask her and now I was, our
4: biggest question is why
3: and I noticed that on other podcasts, no one plays her material. I was going to go through every break and play a minute and a half of her stuff. Ooh, whoa.
4: Frosted Flake of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You know.
3: <sighs> yes.
4: I say we don't have her back on, and you unfollow her. Ooh. I'll follow her just to unfollow her <laughs> when you do.
3: <laughs> no, I wish her success. I, Because... I like seeing women in the comedy scene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we'll get her back. If, our, if I'd love to have her back, you know, maybe in the summer or yeah. um, end of May or something maybe. like that. For now, we have to say goodbye. And I say it with <laughs> tears in my eyes and anger in my heart and deep sadness because it screwed up my whole day.
4: I know, we're like w- walking out of the bar crying, stood up, yeah, tails cause between our legs.
3: Because we weren't going to do comedians and comedians anymore. Like, that was kind of something when Johnny left, we weren't going to do it.
4: Oh, it was a Johnny and Sasha thing. No,
3: someone (laughs) called me out and said, hey, you know, you need to do, bring in comics. If you like comedy, you should support the local scene. And I said, yeah, but all the other podcasters do.
4: Yeah.
3: You know, it's like uh, I Am Salt Lake had Mercer Malo on, on like, a month ago. And it's like, is that too close? I don't want to be stepping on his time because, but who cares anymore? That's not a thought of mine. That's not a thought of mine. (laughs) So next, so this uh, Friday, I'll be doing radio with Keith McDonald. We'll be celebrating. Two to five. Two to five.
4: PM, Friday the 17th of January.
3: Yes. And it will be the day after the Sabrina Fulton interview. I will have that audio cut and clipped. I don't know if we'll introduce it onto that show or if we'll put it on a second show. Mm -hmm. But come to KU.org because your whole weekend you'll have great content of on-demand stuff. And you don't even have to listen to all you are. But you can. But you should. You should. And you should have conversations with us and call us. And then at, what do we have at 8 o'clock? We have Dakota Lewis Force. Is that happening today? That is happening today. As long as we can get all the technical issues worked out. Otherwise, I'll throw it to music and I'll go interview him in the mixing room. And then I'll put it on demand later. Yeah. But yeah, he, we're going to find out who this
4: who this Dota is. is? Yeah. <laughs> That's
3: exciting. Yeah. So let's go to break because we have to. Otherwise, our <laughs> fearless leader Will Hatton will to. throw us off the fourth floor. William. Yeah. <laughs> Sir <laughs> William. <laughs> That's you how they say his, it, huh?
4: You get to hear his voice next on the first ad. Oh, can we
3: please? Yeah. I've been waiting all hour to I hear you. I know.
4: Him. So we'll be right back, friends. Mm, nice.
5: Thanks for listening to KU Internet Radio, providing you the sounds of student life. If there's something you want to hear, feel free to call in at 801-585-3449. You can also hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash KU Radio or on Twitter at K underscore UTE. I've got one.
4: I've got one.
5: Yeah, I've got one. My one reason for donating plasma? To make sure that patients like my son have long, healthy lives.
2: My reason? To help my family.
5: It's something I can do to show I care about my community.
2: There are millions of reasons to donate plasma. You only need one. Donate today by visiting Biomat, Plasma Care, or Talacris Plasma Resources, one of our Grifols companies. New
0: donors can earn up to $360 this month, 630 West North Temple, and 38 East 800 South, Salt Lake City.
1: This is Chris Burbank, Chief of Police for the Salt Lake City Police Department. You are listening to KU Radio. Hey everybody, this is Steve Schmall
0: with NPC Utah, and you're listening to OU Radio. <laughs>
4: Welcome back to Old Ute Radio. How are you? Really great. I like it. So, we've got a little news time.
3: Yes. We have no. Melissa, Merlot time, but we have news time.
4: Yeah, we have no interview tonight because yep. Sasha and I got stood up.
3: Yep, I suck. I stink <laughs> as a booker.
4: Ah, <laughs> uh, first fun article since we were talking about um, sexism. Yes. Were we? We, and we wanted to get into it. Men, women, race, yes. all that kinds of stuff. Yes. One article that I read this week from the New York Times talks about women wearing makeup. It's called Up the Career Ladder, Lipstick in Hand. And it basically, it has like, it has four pictures yeah. of women. The first picture is barefaced completely. No makeup, no moisturizer, just like natural as you can get.
3: As beautiful as God intended her to exactly. be. Exactly. Yes.
4: Then the next picture has a natural look, which is maybe a little moisturizer, like a neutral colored lip gloss, uh-huh. and that's about it.
3: That's not a bad look.
4: Yeah. Then the third picture is like, you can tell she's wearing makeup, but not so much that you wouldn't wear it in mm-hmm. the office or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth look is called glam, Ooh. which is pretty dark lips, obvious eyeshadow, eyebrows really dark, lifted kind of stuff. The
3: mischievous girl. Yeah. yeah.
4: But it says different amounts of makeup – Increases people's perception of a woman's likability, her competence, and her trustworthiness, according to a new study.
3: Wait, what was?
4: Her makeup. Weird. Wearing makeup. So the study says, like, people will react or perceive a woman negatively if she's either wearing glam, like too much makeup, in any setting other than maybe a nightclub. Or if she's completely barefaced with no makeup. Something that they think is unappealing. Normal people. It just goes on to talk about, like, if you want to assert your power or your, like, competence, maybe as, like, a lawyer in a firm, you should not be afraid to wear obvious makeup but not go as far as to look glam, I guess. So mm-hmm. it says, like, you should be between two and three look. But then it, ta- it had... um A professor who has a Ph.D. in chemistry talking about how if she wears any makeup, more than like a moisturizer, if she wears makeup, people find her more approachable, warmer, nicer. But then at the same time, those same studies show that people who found her more kind and approachable also thought that because she was wearing makeup, her appearance made her look less competent, less intelligent or trustworthy.
3: What a fecal society we live
2: in.
4: I know. The whole thing, but then it also says, you know, she doesn't like to wear makeup, and if she doesn't wear makeup, then people view her as more intelligent, but also find her colder, uh, less approachable, kind of that like career woman. So they saying
3: that because are they saying that they're the uglier women are less approachable? Are they saying that women are ugly if they don't wear makeup?
4: No, that's not. They're not even saying it's based on your looks to begin with. Even if someone is deemed by a group as ugly, whatever that would entail. Still, if she's wearing a medium amount of makeup, mm-hmm. people are more accepting. Even if they don't think she's hot all of a sudden, the fact that she's wearing a little bit of makeup, then they find her less weird or unapproachable.
3: How do you figure that out? Did they say how they figured this out?
4: Well. Cause that
3: seems see. weird to me. Like, you're not a makeup. It
4: was a lot of a lot of research. A lot of research. Uh, from <laughs> Harvard and Boston University. And I'm trying to scan and see if it includes the methods and the process.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Let's see. It does say that. Have you there. noticed
3: that in your personal life? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Give me an example. Like If I go to work. Yes.
4: So if I were to go to work in like a full-blown pencil skirt, heels, lots of makeup, I'll get treated like the women will look at me like I'm a hooker. Right. The men will be nicer, but probably like a little bit more condescending. More flirty? Not even flirty. I mean, some, but not even that. They'll just be more like the way they give me jobs, the way they bring me their tasks is more like we're in Mad Men and you're my secretary kind of (laughs) thing. But then if I walk into work on a day where I came straight from school I have my work outfit, usually like leggings and a blouse, dress, shirt kind of thing with boots, mm-hmm. not like heels and looking all like slim fitting clothes. Mm-hmm. If I walk in just looking like this, like today, regular, not wearing makeup, just normal, mm-hmm. which is completely acceptable. I mean, the dress code, nothing about the office attire says you have to wear makeup to be professional ready. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how to explain it other than you see how people treat women who are like career oriented and they act like they never want a family or kids and are like cold hearted and just care about their job. Do you know like that stigma sort of? George Carlin
3: bashes on it all the time. He says, uh, why do women continually want to uh, mimic the worst part of the human being, which is the male businessman? Yeah.
4: Well, When I walk into work looking like I don't really care about my appearance, I mean, I never walk in looking sloppy.
3: You don't wear sweatpants and stuff. No, but I
4: don't, like, get all done up every time. I just look like this. Yes. It's, no one would ever, like, say anything or act like. The way that I'm approached is more professional, more like a little more respect as far as here's your job, here's what I need you to do, but then less interaction. Like, no small talk, no how's your day and how's mm-hmm. school going. It's like, here's a stack of papers, do it. But it's not condescending, it's just not friendly. But if I go in looking like what the research describes as middle ground, like a little bit of makeup just to look pleasant, mm-hmm. normal outfit, whatever, then I get respect and also people talking and chatting and things.
3: So if you go to a bar or a club, is there a difference between when you're dolled out and make it up and then when you just go wearing jeans and a sweatshirt?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, like, people are creeps all the time, always, with <laughs> girls. But, like, when <laughs> I'll go with my friends, they'll be like, we want to go dancing at sure. Maxwell's, And you, you all know?
3: doll up, right?
4: Well, sometimes I will wear – except for Maxwell's doesn't let you wear baseball hats.
3: No, because they're the they made dumb me take gang it fight on. two years oh ago. Oh, my
4: gosh. I walked yeah. in there. See, sometimes when I go out with them yeah. and I'm driving and I'm just, like – there for the ride sorta designating I yeah. usually wear jeans combat Dickies. boots yeah a zip Wife up Peter. and yeah. a baseball hat
2: uh-huh. cool I Jane. just
4: walk yeah. yeah I like I wear like a chain on my wallet yeah. and like no your I just wear regular jeans and sometimes I'll just wear like a ra- like a t-shirt
3: What type of gun?
4: Uh, I carry like <laughs> <a laughs> rifle. I walk in with a rifle, a rifle strapped rifle. to my back No So there are times where I just, I don't even, like, my hair is just bad. Mm -hmm. Not really wearing makeup. I have my glasses on. And obviously people are always creepy. But it's totally different compared to if I walked in in, like, a dress and heels with my hair done with the girls.
3: Wow. People are two-faced.
4: Exactly. And it's the same thing. It's like in the whole rape culture, where they talk about people asking for it by what they're dressed like.
3: She was asking for it.
4: Like, I see that there's a difference in the way people treat you when you're dressed a certain way, but that doesn't make it <laughs> your fault that they act that way. But it is like, it's, any girl can tell you if you walk out on the street, if, I'm like, if I look what I would consider like cute and I feel confident about it, I don't really act any different. But if I'm walking on the street, I'll notice, even on State Street, I used to work at GNC and I'd walk over to my work three Uh blocks away on State Street. And if I, I would have like my heels on and my work skirt and like a blouse. And if I was even sort of done up, I would get way more just like obnoxious honks and catcalls out the window on (laughs) State Street. People are weird.
3: (laughs) I think there's a bit of that with men too. They want you to have the parted hair. They want you to wear a nice suit and a collar and a tie, and polished shoes, and then you're deemed successful. I've never had a problem personally. Like I'm really homely. I'm mm-hmm. not pleasant to look at. <laughs> oh I don't. I don't dress well. Yeah, not homely. I don't dress well. So, but I've always been successful um, with bosses I and stuff. I think
4: the whole thing, even dress codes, are so weird. Not as. Not so much like dress codes that keep fifth graders from wearing a halter top to school. I mean, like, professional business code. Mm -hmm. I wonder sometimes if at any point it's going to be mandatory that you wear makeup. Because even at places, I mean, obviously they can do this, but places like Hollister. I worked there in high school, or right after high school. And part of the dress code is, like, your hair must look like you're at the beach, but not like you did it. So it can't look like you've done it, but yep. it needs to be done like relaxed, wavy.
3: See, I bet if you worked at DK and Y, yeah, right. I bet,
4: and you have to wear makeup, obviously. Like yeah. in Hollister, they were like, "You need to wear makeup, but you can't look like you're wearing makeup." And I was like, "What?"
3: Do they pay for the makeup? No, it's probably a tax expense, though. You really <laughs> get Jewy into it.
4: But I wonder, places like offices, like yes. where I work, I'm sitting at a desk. There's a dress code as far as no jeans, dress slacks, or Um, dresses and tights and all that kind of stuff they don't like make you wear heels but you need to look dressed dressy
3: see i think if i owned a business i wouldn't let i wouldn't let girls wear tights yeah i'm almost in the opinion like it kind of makes me uncomfortable watching all the girls on campus wearing leotards and tights and super short shorts it's like i'm just trying to get to (laughs) class without being a creep like (laughs) can you make it a little more easy for me (laughs) you know
4: yeah I just wonder, I mean, I feel like someday in the not-too-far future, part of my dress code could be put makeup you couldn't,
3: on. Yeah, you can't wear what you wear at BYU. Yeah. Like, you would be violating... Your outfit today, you'd be violating dress yeah.
4: code. I'm like, oh, my leggings, they got me.
3: <laughs>
4: but it... I don't know. It's weird.
3: Have you gone... Did you go to really strict private schools or anything like that uh-uh. when you were young? So, I went to I went to boarding schools, but... We didn't have dress codes. Mm-mm. But I got shot in the butt once because I used to wear really baggy pants. <laughs> like ridiculously baggy, as I was saying earlier. And uh, my buddy Gabe, I was walking up the stairs and he like pumped a BB gun like 10 times and shot me in my boxers because my pants <gasps> were showing. <laughs> and it hurt so bad. <laughs> we got in the gnarliest brawl. Like, <laughs> like we didn't throw f- fists at each other, but like we were fish hooking each other and oh like. My God putting each other in ankle locks and like it, it was getting pretty violent <laughs> kind of crazy yeah my butt hurt for a week <laughs> so you got
4: some news for me
3: i i thought it, instead of doing that one let's uh, read Lindsay whitehurst mother of trayvon martin coming to the university of utah the mother of trayvon martin will be at the university of utah this week as part of the school's martin luther king jr day events sabrina fulton will be speaking out around the country on racial and ethnic mm-hmm. profiling after Martin, 17, was shot and killed in Florida by Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman, who was acquitted of second-degree murder in July. Her story is not without controversy, but the university's interest here is to create a space where students, faculty, staff, and the broader community can discuss this case, said U spokesman Maria Omara, who called Fulton's talk a very important dialogue. Before I go further, what do you think about, because you're paying for this, I mean, I don't know, I don't think she talks about, how, but I've heard upwards in the 10 figures for Ms. Fulton to come in. Usually any keynote speakers get yeah. paid in the twenty-five, thirty-five dollars 35000 range, and it all comes from student money. How do you feel about having her on? Because I guarantee you on Thursday there's going to be, because I'll be interviewing these mm-hmm. kids, there's going to be a segment that don't want her on
4: campus. Yeah, I think I wouldn't not want her here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel pretty impartial about it but I didn't know it cost that much to get
3: I'll try to find out the numbers yeah. i to mean, get that's a that's an guesstimate on my part yeah. but that's a very common number they get paid very well
4: yeah I don't know what I think about it I haven't really thought about it
3: okay Fulton will meet students and community members as well as partic- and participate in a discussion with the audience at noon On Thursday in the ballroom in the Alpine Student Union Building, 200 Central Campus Drive.
4: Okay, I've decided what I think.
3: Okay.
2: This (laughs) is what I think.
3: Yes.
4: Nobody get mad at me. Okay. I don't know a whole lot about his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think when you're using that much money of student money Mm -hmm. to get speakers, obviously not everyone is ever going to decide who they want and make some unanimous vote on what we should spend our money on. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's cool to have very, like, controversial topics, have people come in and talk on things that are, like, pretty heated in the community. But when that's the entire, I don't know, it's different. I feel like it's different than having some, like, really accomplished doctor come in and speak.
3: Here's last year's Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration, which featured Jesse Jackson, was about King's legacy. This year, U officials concentrated on more recent events and younger people in organizing a week of events honoring King. The theme is Beneath the Hoodie, a look at racial profiling in America. The Trayvon Martin case, considering his youth, fits with the dialogue we want to have in the spirit of Dr. King's legacy about race and issues that affect the next generation, O'Mara said. On the holiday itself, the U will hold a march for the youth starting at 2 p.m., at East High School Auditorium, 1840 South, 1300 East, and ending at Kingsbury Hall. They really want us to walk in this inversion? <laughs> hmm. Guess I'll have to bring my docs. Donations accepted at the end of the March will go to Reverend Francis A. Davis Scholarship Fund. The following day, January 21st, Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank... We'll talk about positive youth development and community resistance to institutionalized racial profiling in a panel discussion with 2U researchers and Debbie Rocha, director of Salt Lake Early Intervention Services. Racial profiling, O'Mara said, is a topic that has particularly haunted people of color for generations. Don't disagree with that. Yeah. For any of you who would like to find out exact things, go to diversity.utah.edu. And you will find all things fun and funny and serious about what is going on with that. Yeah. I think it's odd. I think I this is See, the part that bothers me is I know that she's getting paid. Right?
4: That's see, that's the thing. But for me. she's
3: not accepting and I don't know. We'll find out. I want to interview her very, very badly because yeah. I don't think that this is important. Th- like I get that racial profiling is important. Yes. I think that it's something that cops have to continue to work on. But George Zimmerman was not a police officer. Exactly. He was a security kindergarten cop. Like yeah. he was a fake cop wanting to be a cop. He's
4: like the mall police. Yeah. At the uh, gateway. <laughs> but see
3: this the the outline of her speech and I hope she gets into it. I hope she's a great orator. I've, yeah. I'm concerned about her oratorical skills if you go to YouTube and watch her. Mm -hmm. Because I feel really bad for the woman. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you lose a a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. I don't know how you then, as not being a person that studied speech and dialogue and broadcasting, then goes and puts yourself in front of the world to be broken apart. Yeah. Because people are going to criticize her to her face about anything she says, and then she's gonna go home and lay in bed and she goes, Trayvon's dead.
4: Yeah, that's the thing is nothing she does is going to, obviously she can make a change in other things, Mm -hmm. but my my reasoning for my opinion is that you're paying a huge amount of money Mm -hmm. out of student and community pockets Mm -hmm. to pay for someone to speak that only a portion of people even agree with the entire background behind her speaking.
3: Well, there's many people that think There's no
4: credential, like, yeah. this is a doctorate, a, a PhD professor from Harvard is going to come in and talk to you about this thing that he's really researched on and has this, like... I mean, I see... I know that we bring people in and pay a lot of money for entertainment purpose. Mm-hmm. Authors or comedians, all that. But this is different because it's supposed to be in the same vein as, like a scholar speaking. Does that make sense?
3: I'm not a big fan of, I get paying for a plane ticket, hotel, meals, right? Maybe yeah. a driver.
4: but paying for their... Like, but you're
3: coming to a campus of students that you're supposed to teach. What When in this country, and I know it's happened for a long time, but like Bill Clinton will get paid six figures for doing uh, motivational speeches to companies or to universities, and Bill Gates and all these people, Warren Buffett, they all get paid Six-figure incomes. And
4: that's ridiculous.
3: Because they're students in a universal city. You should be doing it out of the good gesture of your well, humanity. Well,
4: that's the thing. I mean, if she... I mean, okay, my mom, for instance. Yes. I've had brothers pass away. Mm-hmm. One of my brothers passed away. If my mom decided to like make a stand about an issue that led to the death of one of her sons
2: mm-hmm.
4: and is going to tour around doing this like as a job... Or Or for some like touring purpose, it would make sense to me, like you said, to be accommodating her mm-hmm. and even paying like a little out of po- like a little bit for a speech. Great. But not like, I can't understand how you justify like you're coming here to share something that you're passionate about and that you want to like educate young minds on.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: How can you justify? requiring like money that could go to more computers or cheaper t- you know what i mean mm-hmm. a lot of other things and you're gonna take tens of thousands of dollars to stand there for an hour and a half and say your opinion like w- at what gonna point be do interesting you think your opinion is worth that much more than well <sighs> if,
3: if someone offered you thirty thousand dollars to play your guitar and piano in front of a bunch of students i bet you'd be thrilled and tickled and would say absolutely where do I go
4: I don't think I would take that much money for real
3: I could see that Neil. you're a very humble person
4: I'm not humble no you are I just couldn't I mean I understand if people like a touring musician and people really want to see them and buy like a reasonably priced ticket and you happen to make a lot of money because everyone likes your music that's really cool and I would be really excited
3: so how about this on Friday, when Keith McDonald and I, at 2 o'clock, our first interview of that day is somebody from the Diversity and Ethnic Resource Center. They're going to come here. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk to us about 15, 20 minutes and set everything up. My first question is going to be, how much? How much did we spay, pay as students for this? And yeah.
4: we're allowed to know that, aren't we?
3: It's public, it is public. a public university. Yeah. It's public record. Had I even thought about that idea, I would have found out the number. But
4: <laughs> Had I even thought <laughs>
3: I mean, Chris Burbank, I've interviewed him before, the police chief of Salt Lake City. He's fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a great orator. And he he gets paid a lot of money, but he's got one of the hardest jobs in this state, Mm -hmm. being the chief of police. And he talks about it frequently, about really trying to teach his police officers not to racial profile. But I know that they do. Like, I hear stories all the time. Like, everyone hears stories about our lovely police departments in (laughs) these (laughs) cities. So... Uh, we're at the break line again. How we, does that keep we happening? We must go. I don't know, because Will Hatton's very good at his job.
4: To promos for a few minutes. Great, <laughs> I like promos. <laughs> and then we'll be right back with more exciting
5: things. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you, people. I've got one. I've got one. Yeah. I've got one. My one reason for donating plasma? To make sure that patients like my son have long, healthy lives.
2: My reason? To help my family.
5: It's something I can do to show I care about my community.
2: There are millions of reasons to donate plasma. You only need one. Donate today by visiting Biomat, Plasma Care, or Talacris Plasma Resources, one of our Griffles
0: companies. New donors can earn up to $360 this month, 630 West North Temple, and 38 East 800 South, Salt Lake City. You
5: <laughs> oh,
6: are we recording? No, I don't believe you.
5: Hey, this is Curtis Ray, your wacky weatherman for ABC4 News. You're listening to KU Radio. My name's Brian Pope. You're listening to Ole Ute Radio. Bob Bedore from Quickwits
3: really hates BYU. I've heard him say so on stage. Ask him about it. <laughs>
4: To OUt Radio. I like it. On Huh?
3: I like when you say OUt Radio.
4: <laughs> On KUt Internet Radio. <laughs> uh, you, follow you us at KU. KU. Dot org. Oh, yeah. Yes. At K... No, at K underscore U-T-E.
3: Dot org? No, it's just dot org.
4: For the website? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Twitter yes, yes. is K underscore U-T-E. Oops.
3: They have a Facebook page, too.
4: Facebook.com slash KU radio. Yes.
3: In case you didn't get that out of all the promos we've been playing in the last know, two guys, hours. If you
4: haven't, you're probably helpless.
3: And <laughs> there's no
4: point now. <laughs> um, anyone who is left over from fill in the blank. You. Not me. Oh. Listeners. <laughs> yes. Um, and that would have been you too, by the way. Yes. Uh, listeners, fill in the blank is no longer. Central. And the Facebook page is no longer going to be anything. Did you I'll ever hear back from Mr. It. McKeon? No.
3: No. Of course not.
4: Big Bear Mickey. <laughs>
3: Big Bear Mickey. Johnny McKeon. <laughs> um,
4: Get at me, bro, on Facebook.
3: Yeah, man. Give us your number. I can only ask you six Girl, times. Uh, yeah.
4: You can only ask so many times before you just feel bad because they... Let's scary. just start our own.
3: Let's start a new one. Do you want me to? We'll have dueling. we only
4: have like 50.
3: Yeah, because he never took care of it. Like, he never Kay. did anything. So. I'll
4: start another. Yeah.
3: And I will not participate at all on Facebook. <laughs> Curse the you, Twitter Facebook! Man. I, I hate Twitter. <laughs>
4: How quickly the tides turn.
3: Well, see, I've been doing it six months. I got two hundred followers now, but I only know like forty of them. Mm. And of those forty, like I don't care. Like and I mean, you there's, probably there hate at least twenty. I don't hate, but there's like fifteen people that I would like to know because they're good to me. I don't get Twitter.
4: I don't either. That's why I was so bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> I still am, yeah. if you notice. I don't post ever. <laughs>
3: no. Do you lose a lot of followers when you just leave it alone?
4: No. I have have I don't know how I I think I have like 80 something and I don't know where they came from. i mm-hmm. I've never like I don't follow a lot of I follow like 40. Mm-hmm. But they just sit there. I've had my I've had my Twitter since fall 2009.
3: Yeah. The people that Bug me the most are the minor celebrities, like the journalists and reporters, who they know you and you try to follow them and then they won't follow you back. Like (laughs) people that in this dumb archetype of Twitter that don't follow, like everyone should have 30 million followers, is the way I see it. (laughs) But like, so I tweeted an article the other night, like, I guess a bunch of vigilantes took over a drug cartel. And like took back a town. And it was like 3 in the morning and I was up because I was working. So mm-hmm. it just broke. In that dumb thing, I wrote like hashtag humanism, right? Because like, hey, humans are finally winning again, right? Hashtag. And so I get these atheist groups retweeting me. oh, Because they retweet everything that, that has to do with humanism. humanism. Yeah. And I was like, when do these words get on? <laughs> Hence the hashtag, I guess. But
4: <laughs> Hence the hashtag.
3: I was very disappointed. And I don't know. But you it was. know something
4: fun I did yeah. this weekend? I do. It Please. was really fun. Really cool. Yes. Have you been to the Natural History Museum?
3: Yes. Not With recently. The
4: dinosaurs? The one after they built it up there. The new one.
3: Oh, on campus? Yeah. No, I haven't been there since. The
4: Natural s- History Museum yeah. of Utah. It moved from President's Circle last year up to Wakara Way yeah. behind the dorms. By, Whoa. like, the research buildings. Yeah. It blends into the mountain. And it is the coolest. I mean, the architecture in it is incredible. Mm-hmm. The whole place is awesome. It's the trail. It, it You have to go through it to get to the trailhead for, like, the Bonneville Shoreline Trail. A bunch of them up there. It's, like, the coolest. Mitch and I went. Yes. There are dinosaurs. Huge dinosaur bone fossil things. Like a long neck one that reaches the ceiling in like this Johnny? huge museum. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Johnny skeleton. A little long neck. <laughs> it's the coolest thing. They have a couple like parts where in the floor you're walking on glass, and underneath you is like an exhibit that's got sand, but then it's just got bones, like dinosaur bones. Mm-hmm. And you're like walking around on it and looking at it. It's the cool. I'll show you a picture. It's super cool. You have to. It's only. It's free for students. Um, I
2: think I'll bring my son there. Yeah. And we'll
4: Dude, go kids.
3: kick fossils down. How old is he? 11.
4: He'd love it. Yeah. It has a bunch of, like, cool kid exhibits that aren't just for children. There's one where you press a button to smell what, like, a dinosaur's dinner would have smelled like. Oh, I love reeks, that. And it And you, like, put your nose and you press the thing and smell. And I thought I was going to vomit. Mitch was like, Beck, check this out. And I was like... Oh, It, like, surprised (laughs) me, and it's the grossest thing I heard first mouth.
3: That's right up my son's alley. But
4: they also have one that talks about the valley, how it used to be underwater way back when. Mm -hmm. They have this little um, wheel that the kids, like, turn, and it has a tiny little shower head over the whole valley. It's like a model of the valley with all these labels and everything, like Antelope Island and the U and downtown. And as you spin the thing, water comes out, and it slowly fills this whole big display and shows you how high the water would have been back like what it would have looked like nice. it's so cool and then you can press the button to drain it and the kids <laughs> love it flush it yeah <laughs> it's the Goodbye, coolest building. civilization <laughs> uh you should take him i think in february or the very end of january or maybe the first week of february they're starting their chocolate the exhibit and i don't know what that means but it's probably super cool
3: kids and sugar I try I mean, to keep forward. Maybe they don't give apart. you
4: chocolate, but they might have like huge chocolate statue things. I don't know. They hyped <laughs> it up to like <laughs> pretty cool, and all their like exhibits it. are really like informational and enticing. They have a whole like gems exhibit with just walls full of these glass cases that have different like gemstones and diamonds and crystals in it. It's the coolest. Sounds I'm a good. huge advocate.
3: So. Is there I forgot
4: my UID, and I had to pay $10. Mm-hmm.
3: <sighs> you couldn't just give them a number?
4: No, because oh. they just look at it. Yeah. I don't think they scan it or anything. Mm-hmm.
3: I know that this Friday, there's a big t- Pac-12 game going on at the Huntsman Center Is between there? the Utes and the UCLA Bruins, and it's the 1990 reunion
2: team. Oh!
3: I saw on a sign that if you're a student, you and up to four friends can get in for free. They're on Friday? To s- yeah, they're trying to sell it. Up. Saturday, Friday, Saturday. Check I don't it out. Know. Yeah, it's around.
4: There's also, did you know the U is doing, I think for like one of the first times, a masquerade ball?
3: Oh, that is going to be... I might have to f- film that. You have to. <laughs> it's like <laughs> January 31st
4: yeah. on a Friday. It's over...
3: Is so it like a pagan holiday or
4: something? I don't know. Hmm. It's over... Wow. The sign's right above the union, and I want to say that they're holding it in that big Dump. you know how they have that No, they have that big convention not a convention, a big venue above Rice-Eccles Stadium. Yeah. on the home side where they hold like team banquets in and the things press like box, that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what the sign said where it is. It's like $10 per person or 15 per couple and it's like a full-blown masquerade ball. Mm. I'm going.
3: Toga party.
4: I want to go so bad. I've never worn a mask. You should. I like are, are you going to have
3: one of those stupid handles that you hold, like, so that just your eyes are covered with, like, the little cat eyes? Or are you actually going to – you should go in a luchador mask, <gasps> like a wrestling <gasps> luchador should mask. Should
4: I? Yeah. I'll be like, <laughs> call me la luchadora.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you should do it.
4: Dude, that'd be awesome. I'm going to go, though.
3: And you should have just Mitch go as Hulk Hogan or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do a little wrestling thing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, yes. that would be too good. I'll make him go as Nacho Libre. Yes. And I'll g- I'll wear, like, the nun outfit, and I'll be Encarnacion.
3: <laughs> you should. <laughs> and I'll be
4: like, I like puppies. You like the puppies. The color tan. <laughs> right? <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> I need to watch Nacho Libre again.
3: I've never seen it.
4: Oh, what? What? You serious? Yeah, straight up. Go home and illegally download (laughs) it tonight. (laughs) It's so funny. It's one of the funniest movies. It cracks me up every time. Do you like Jack Black? Because you're going to like him in this
3: movie. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was really good in that Cusack Cusack movie. Or what? what, Cusack? John Cusack? uh, (laughs) The one about the music store?
4: Oh, School of Rock. No,
3: way (laughs) before that. Like, (laughs) the School of Rock.
4: Uh, The... The movie with the. The.
3: Yeah, that one. No, no, See, that's God. the great thing about Johnny McKean is like, he knows every movie under their planet. Does like, he? Oh, yeah, he's a catalog. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's weird. I've never seen anything um, like it. Uh, mm-hmm.
4: I can't think of the movie I'm thinking yeah. of. It doesn't matter.
3: It's so, we're about out of here. No, we're
4: not. We are. N- uh, we have.
3: We have time on the recorder? Yeah.
4: Okay. We have nine minutes. Ooh.
3: So, what are you doing this weekend? Or. Yeah, this coming weekend.
4: I am going to my home. And doing what? In St. George. Ooh, you're going home. Uh Uh-huh. It's a three-day weekend because of, obviously, Martin Luther King Jr. Day.
3: Is that Monday? Yeah. Oh.
4: We get Monday off. Nice. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) Fair good news. No, I have to work Monday. So, I am going down. Mm Mm-hmm. I am not sure when. Do you drive down? Yeah. It's a long drive. It is a long drive. I don't have Uh, a train
3: that takes you there?
4: Oh, no. They have a shuttle. That's like fifty five one way. But my little PT cruiser only costs about ninety How much to fly? To fly? I think it's like a hundred one way. I don't actually know. I'm pretty sure it's more like it's not so bad. I've I've done it a lot of times alone. Like all the times. But I will be driving down with Mitch to fight with. On the way home, <laughs> we always fight in car rides because it goes so much faster. So we pick a topic. <laughs> we pick a topic that, like, we Some definitely drink, but definitely don't <laughs> agree on, and then we just go at it. And then all of a sudden, we're in like Fillmore, and I'm like, "Where'd the last two hours go? I've been mad at you for so long."
3: <laughs> that flies. You guys get any really intense fights?
4: Mm, just like really intense arguments. Really. That yeah. like about not like debates. Yeah. Because we have, we're just both really stubborn and opinionated, but our opinions don't always line up.
3: You're stubborn. <laughs> I um, aren't I? I've never seen that.
4: I Well, I've I'm stubborn when it's not like discussing opinions never makes me like argue. I've
3: never seen you frustrated.
4: <laughs> Ever?
3: <laughs> like in, what have I known you, two years roughly? Yeah. Close? I've never seen you.
4: Remember that one time I was frustrated about a certain radio incident? With someone who is extra abrasive? No. I don't even know his name.
3: Was I not there?
4: No. Remember, I was telling you about it. Hmm. And you were like trying to figure out why someone would be so mad at me for no reason. Yes, yes, yes. Wasn't I frustrated then? Or maybe I wasn't frustrated. I was just expressive. (laughs) I
3: guess it wasn't toward me, so I didn't pick up on it.
4: Yeah, I'm stubborn only I can talk to you about our opinions and ours don't always line up. And it's not like we get in arguments or I feel like I need to be stubborn. Mm-hmm. But when we and Mitchell argue, it's like we just both kind of go on the defensive to begin with. Like when we know that we're not going to agree. Who's the and boss of your
3: relationship? Like who's the apex predator between the two?
4: Who has the upper hand? Yeah. I like to think it shifts.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: he has the upper hand. I get
3: 28 days. He gets four. <laughs>
4: yeah. No, I, I would... I would say he probably has the upper hand more. I think it's different when you fight with someone that, like, people who are dating that fight. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of fighting because you can't just, like, agree to disagree if that's someone that you are, like, building your life with. Does that make sense? There's, like, more pressure. I
3: always leave at that point. It's like, if you're going (laughs) to yell at me... Like well, I have yell. my mom to do that. Like <laughs> go away.
4: We never. I mean, when we argue, we don't like sit in the car yelling. Oh, that's true. We're good. just heated, like, I like defending our opinion. Yes. And I think, at least for me, I understand people. Do, do you throw things at them? No. <laughs> okay. Never. <laughs> no. I understand. I like. I know lots of people in relationships, married, who completely have like completely religious, different religious views, different political views and i get that Mm -hmm. but i don't think i'm the kind of person who is like could do that Mm -hmm. because i feel like the person that i would marry and fall in love with
2: Mm -hmm.
4: would need to at least like share a lot of middle ground on things that are important oh you have to and so i think that's why i get so defensive and stubborn Mm -hmm. when i'm fighting with someone that is like a significant other because if they don't agree with me then it's not gonna <laughs> like. <laughs> this is not gonna work in the future.
3: <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's a but lot. But I'm
4: not always right either. So sometimes I'll be like, you know what, that was pretty dumb.
3: Can you compromise? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's. Cool. I mean,
4: it's hard for me, but I could do it.
3: Do you are you submissive towards your man or do you stand up for yourself also?
4: I don't think I stand up for myself.
3: <laughs> that's good.
4: But. I have had to learn to not be quite as hard-headed because I know I'm wrong. I mean, half the time, like, two years later, I'll realize my views on something are completely different. So it's not like I think one, like, argument is going to make or break anybody's relationship. It should. But when it's a big thing, Mm -hmm. it's like a big opinion and you really clash, then you should probably not be together. (laughs) It's not going to work.
3: It's weird watching those really, like, Jerry Springer-type relationships.
4: (laughs) Even, I mean, even functioning healthy... "Quote unquote," I mean, they seem healthy relationships where people are like, I am far right conservative mm-hmm. and my spouse is like total, complete Democrat. Yeah, totally. I don't understand. I don't get it. I know people have different views, but like, I don't know how I could live with someone who is my spouse, who like my fundamental beliefs <laughs> on how a society or a family or like people should behave in a like a politically correct way. Could be that different. Like, so, you must have
3: something else that attracts you. Huh? Like, my son's mother and I were on that same wave. She was a Republican. I don't really believe in politics. Yeah. Like, she was a God fearing Christian lady. Like, I'm surprised God doesn't kill me every day. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it just, it's indifferent to me. Yeah. And so obviously, we're not together. And yeah. But we got along really well, except for on. Everything that has to do with community and society and values. Well,
4: that's the thing. I notice, like, if I have a relationship where everything is really super awesome, like, we don't fight, we get along, we know how to have fun together, but if every time you try to open your mouth and actually say something, like, actually speak about something that you have, like, vested passion in, and that causes fights, you're doomed. (laughs) Like, if you can never have like an open like deep conversation about the world or your views on something without it becoming like such a tense and I don't think I could that's why I don't understand how like if you could be that opposite on a big view how you can do it I'm not like not saying that people shouldn't I know people who are you know like different religions a Jew and and L- well, I don't actually know any Jew LDS marriages, but like you know what I mean, you know that they're out there, <laughs> they like don't exist, really opposite. Uh, religions. Larry
3: King and his wife, what? he's a Jew, yeah, and she's LDS, she is, yeah.
4: That I'm not saying that you can't love someone with a different religion or even that you shouldn't be together, but me personally. I don't think I, I'm not trying to make, like, I wouldn't just try to make someone believe what I believe. Uh But if I was going to spend my life with them, I would just have to, like, kindly say no and be like, we're not meant to be together. Sorry, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) Because I don't know how you can have that, like, like the Larry King example. I don't know how you can have that. Con, like that much contrast between how you think like the point of life is like where you came from who you are any of it and like function i don't know
3: i agree i don't okay disagree do with that okay
4: um we're out of here we gotta go well, to break. i'll be back he'll be here
3: Yeah, she's quitting the show on me
4: thank you for listening yes. to all you radio sorry to leave so fast we're gonna go to some promos yes and then you're gonna enjoy uh Sasha and Dakota yes. for the next hour segment. Yes. So he will be right back.
5: Sweet. Thank you. This is Glenn Mills, Weekend Anchor at ABC4 Utah and former Ute. You're listening to KU Radio. Hi, this is Coach K. You're listening to KU Radio.
3: Hello friends, whole Ute Radio, this is Sasha Bloom. We're broadcasting for KU Internet Radio at KU.org. I apologize for having to interject into our podcast. The first minute and a half of third segment with Dakota Force was not recorded. That's my fault and I apologize. So I'm very proud and happy to have Dakota Force co-hosting the third hour of OU Radio. Be kind to him, interact with us, we want your support, we want your interactions, and most importantly, we wanna build and create great content. With that, I say thank you, and here is the conversation with Dakota Force on OU Radio. Recap for me again. Uh we weren't on recording right there. Sorry. We were figuring out something else, but we're recorded now. With me in s- over the web is Dakota Lewis Force, my good friend. You're from Washington, correct?
1: Washington state. Yeah, not that Washington D.C. place. No, I'm from I'm from the West Coast.
3: Are you allowed to go to Washington D.C.?
1: Um, yes, I am. Still currently allowed to go to Washington City. Uh, Most of my privileges have not been suspended uh, as of yet. But, you know, once again, that's because uh, you got to keep it classy, you know? I mean, pretty much, I feel like anywhere I show up is probably going to be more fun for the people there than it was before I got there. But maybe that's just my egomaniacal nature, but I'm pretty comfortable with myself and knowledge that anywhere I go, I'll probably be welcomed.
3: You're a pretty friendly person most of the time. You get a little bit difficult when you're completely hammered. I am hammered. friendly
1: right up into the... I think we've gotten into a couple tasks that uh, <clears throat> that it could be considered unfriendly.
3: <laughs> like me storming off in the middle of the night from Colorado to fly home. <laughs> well, there's lots of those good ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a good one. <laughs>
1: that was a good one.
3: So what, what's your uh, goal for... Podcasting. Where, why do you want to get on with me? What, what's your aim for that?
1: Ah, uh, you know, I mean, shoot, it's been fifteen years. You and I shooting the dialogue back and forth about our views about the world, and I think uh, the conversational format for exploring the many questions that people have in their lives, the open sort of uh, of dialogue is, uh, you know, really what founded our friendship in college and kept it sustained. That you know the the journey of self is uh, is quite intriguing and uh, doesn't get as much uh, airtime, I guess, as uh, as could be could be needed.
3: No, we definitely have a unique uh, friendship. You were o- we were only like physically friends for like two months, and then you transferred schools out of Salt Lake City to go back to Washington State, and then what drove us to friendship is. You have a kid. And so when we were in our early 20s, you had a kid. And I had just gotten my son's mother pregnant, or we got pregnant together, however they want to say it. And I knew, and I was an out-of-state kid. You know, I was from California coming to Utah. I'd only been here a couple of months. We kind of had developed dialogue, not in classes, but mostly at parties and, you know, me trying to find uh, friendship circles that I wanted to hang out with. And I knew you had a kid and I had your number, kind of one of those BS, uh, things you say at the end of the party, Hey man, give me your number, man. Let's keep in touch. And then I, you know, got the lady pregnant and I had no one to talk to because I was too afraid to tell my parents. And so I called you and that's really how our friendship developed, I think.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, I, it was a really good step for me as well, because, you know, I, my, my daughter was born when I was 18 and you know i dropped out of high school to take care of her and so when i got back to college when i started there i mean i was 21 as a freshman trying to get a new start and i hadn't had anybody to talk to about it and so you know your your attempts to speak about your questions was really the first time in my life i'd had to have open dialogue with another you know fellow man about the uh, you know this internal dialogue that happens when when you're facing such a big change especially as like such a young man.
3: I agree with you. Like it really helped. I remember it, it took me 5 months before I could come to my parents and say, "Hey, I'm having a baby." Cuz I was 21 and she was 20 and I don't come from the most conservative family, but at the same time I I come from a conservative family. You know, my parents are like <laughs> my, my parents are very liberal, but they're also very strict on me, and most of that was my fault because, you know, as I've told the audience, I was constantly in trouble, you know. So you were really like an outlet to me that was like, hey, I can really just be honest, and he's over the phone. And we used to talk for hours on the phone, and we'd get crazy into politics, you know, into Nietzsche. and It almost seems like a distant memory to me, like some of those conversations.
1: I mean, it was 15 years ago, man. That's a long time. I mean, that's like that's like... Nearly half of my life and, like, the first half of my life, I, like, you know, didn't really know what was going on. So, you know, the, my adult life has been, you know, from the time of about 18 on, and uh, it was a few years after that that we met. And, and especially being, you know, distant from me moving to Washington, you know, that, that friendship maintained itself through the ability to have discussions about things that in you know, a lot of places in society are difficult to have. You know, there's there's not a lot of people, even close friends at times, that you can really, you know, bear your inter secrets and inter dialogues and inter struggles to and you know, there I think it was a safety because of the distance that we had physically that allowed for a lot deeper of a relationship to develop because there wasn't any societal constraint, you know, there was no there was no physical Entity to uh, to get in the way, you know. We never dated the same girls or ran in the same circle of friends. There was never any real drama dictated through um, through that relationship, and I think that you know that aided us in some ways. In some ways, it was also difficult, you know. When I moved into your house in Salt Lake after I moved uh, out of San Francisco, uh, you know that, that <laughs> turned into a ridiculous time pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, but that was that was brotherly love, man. Like you're telling me that because I know you have a brother. Like you guys haven't put each other in chokeholds, you know. You haven't th- you haven't thrown him well, through I've... a closet door like you did me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember being in like a whole, almost like a three-point stance going like, come on, man, come on, I'm you know, in a much more angry turn now, but I was mad. Oh,
5: yeah, I <laughs> was it, mad, too. Well,
3: it, it was all your fault because you were walking home drunk from, I think you walked from Sugar House to Cottonwood Heights on Highland Drive, and you picked up a cone and. No. It,
1: They were fixing the road, so I kicked over every single cone for a mile. (laughs) And then somewhere around, you know, four or five, up by the Highlander, the cops caught up with me. And I frickin' evaded the police for four or five blocks until I managed to get to the apartment complex, at which point I was trying to get into the door while they were circling the parking lot looking for me. (laughs) But I didn't have any deadbolt. And I was like, "You deadbolted the door. Like you told me you wouldn't do that because I don't have a deadbolt key. You gotta open up, man. I'm about to get arrested."
3: <laughs> and you were pounding on the door. And I was working. I don't know if I was working at the hospital then yet, but I, I've always, you know, I like, you know, when it was three in the morning, I wanted to sleep or whatever. And boy, did we get in a circus event fight that night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a. That was that was not one of my prouder moments. I'll have to tell you that. I remember you got so mad that that you left the house. I had to drive around looking for you, and I found you sleeping on a, the grass lawn. And I was like, Well,
1: that's that's not one of my worst times. I mean, at least I didn't tear my pants off. I have a tendency <laughs> when I get really frustrated, I ripped the pants physically off of my body. And sometimes <laughs>
3: that. Yeah. That far that. Much so you
2: can thank you for
1: that
3: <laughs> so we were in good form then <laughs> i like it oh
1: yeah <laughs> no. so it's w- just like you know wine you know it's it's a little bitey needs some time to mellow i think uh you know i think i've mellowed out to, to some degree over the years I, I there's probably a few who could argue that that's not the case and I might even argue that, too. A certain
3: time. <laughs> well, their opinions won't be expressed here, sir, on OU Radio. KU Internet Radio is who we're broadcasting through, and we're truly appreciative of Mr. Will Hatton and the University of Utah. Where did you go to school? Where, or not so much where did you go, but what did you graduate with your degree in, and why did you choose to go into that degree?
1: Oh, well, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. Uh- Technically, there is no um, title for your degree where I graduated school, which is at Evergreen State College up in Washington State, probably one of the most fantastic institutions for higher education I can imagine. Um, I could talk endlessly about their platform, but uh, the basic model is it allows you to design your own curriculum and frame it around the questions that you're looking to answer. So – I was able to self-title my degree. I titled it Consciousness Studies because most of my work in college was based around psychology, uh, philosophy, um, neurochemistry, and cognitive sciences. And so, you know, one of the questions very early on for me as a student was how does the brain work, you know, because it's something we really don't study and especially at that time, this was, this was before a lot of the emerging um, neuroscience and biofeedback, very, very new sciences at the time. So it wasn't common knowledge of kind of how the brain works. It's still not common knowledge, and there's many things we don't know. So I was always and still am fascinated by just the, the, the act of perception and how perception becomes information and how information becomes behavior and just the whole – System of intellect and thought that happens at, at somewhat of a superficial level, and yet is not looked at on the surface. You know, we, we look into these deeper questions, and we don't really ask ourselves how our own brain works. And you know, that's something I don't think I've answered that question. Why do you? What no do you think? Much-
3: why do you think? And I I don't want to speak for every person or every society, but in general, why do you think Americans are so afraid to understand? Not only about their brain, but about their body, because if we, as a society, embraced our body and our minds, I don't think we'd have the flagrant use of Coca-Cola and sugars, or you know, even alcohol and cocaine and stuff like that, to such a severe uh, levels that we have.
1: I think you know this leads to a question that I've asked a lot, and I think it's it's called the burden of individuality in my mind. Individuality at its core seems to me to lead to that one has control over themselves. And I think as Americans, one of the things we're the most afraid of is that we are in control of ourselves. Because if we take control of ourselves, then we can no longer have anyone else to blame. There's no one to point the finger at. And as a culture, our modality is to find a reason why something is wrong, but that reason needs to lie externally as soon as that reason lies internally well then we become the problem and then we become responsible for the lives that we're living and that i think is a really frightening concept for a lot of americans that like it's not your it's not your fault it's not your fault is kind of the the whole battle cry and um to give people the knowledge and power that they control their own lives and control their own minds is i think a prospect a lot of people shy away from. They, they don't want the control. They don't want the responsibility. They want to be able to wake up in the morning and eat an egg an, you know, muffin and know that McDonald's was looking out for them and giving them the most, you know, delicious and nutritious breakfast snack they can possibly get for 99 cents.
3: Do you think that that's, uh, is, is, is that a person that kind of grew up in a middle-class statement or does that hold true for kids that grew up, you know, in absolute poverty and multi-generational poverty and addiction where they might really not have control of themselves and that they've, you know, grew up with a father who's dead or in prison and a mother that is completely disconnected from her kids because she's got three jobs or she's on drugs or, you know, she doesn't care. Because there is a large part of this society that's grown up with no love and i think that sometimes when we all say we need to reflect and understand ourselves i think there's a large part that if they haven't been abused by slavery they sure have been come victim of capitalism or this society i mean
1: it's difficult for me to say because i come from the background i come from mm-hmm. i can't i can't knowledgeably speak about the context of someone who's grown up in, you know, institutionalized poverty, uh, institutionalized racism, institutionalized slavery, you know, those are real factors. But what I think, what I think, I'm trying to get at is that we're all completely responsible for how it is we feel about ourselves, and that's the core of where you build from, and that many of the institutionalized poverty, slavery. Um, you know capitalism are designed to make you feel differently about yourself and to get away from i think what is a true core human value that every person can feel the way that they want to feel about things you can be mad about it you can be sad about it you can hate yourself you can hate your life or you could love it and i don't think that that is different depending on your socioeconomic standpoint i mean you look at You know, there's plenty of third world countries uh, where you see people in with smiles on their faces more than you see in the New York subways. People who have affluence and success still can't find that happiness because they don't know where it comes from. You know, I would argue that it comes from your own concept of yourself and that there's no, you can't put that blame anywhere else. You know, I've gone through depression. I, I know there's times where I haven't felt like I'm a great person or that I don't, deserve good things in the world but those are responsibilities that I have to take on myself that I am the person who feels that way it's not somebody who made me feel that way although I did battle that for a long time it was already somebody else's fault you know the system is messed up the government tries to keep me down you know like the man's pushing me down man my boss is a jerk man yeah
3: sorry about that it's hard to it's hard to go back and forth quickly on this machine I'll keep those two. <laughs> I'll keep my bad jokes to myself. Continue. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, you know, for, for me, that's been the constant search, you know, and I think there's many different ways. I mean, I, I kind of got out of the educational system because I wasn't sure that it was answering the questions that I wanted. And then inside of that, you know, having a family, you know, after, you know, my daughter was born and, you know, she was eight years old when I had my second child. And you know now I have three children, and the time with them, and the resources that it takes to support them. Like I'm certainly not an affluent individual, but you know we we get by. And uh, some sometimes that doesn't allow for a lot of extracurriculars per se, but there's still that pursuit in my mind of you know the. I hate to say it in this way, but the mysteries of consciousness. I mean, I really feel that you know, the experience of being a conscious being on the planet is probably one of the most mind-boggling experiences there are, and yet your mind is the only thing you have to understand it with. So we're, we're, we're given this incredibly powerful tool with no knowledge of how it works, and it's our job to figure it out. You know, that's, that's a big puzzle, and uh, it can be ignored. There, there are plenty of people who this question will bore on and want to, you know, turn back to Fox News for the latest updates on which kid shot some other kid. But you know, like th- that's a distraction. You know, we're not looking to the to the causes.
3: Why do you think and, um, our so- Why do you think our society? Does you know because the way that they look at a society and try to fix it is with law, you know Aristotle said law is man's best attempt at reason. But you can make all the laws in the world, and you can build all the prison facilities in the world, and you can incarcerate all the citizens you don't need that keep your town going, but you're not changing anything because you the philosophy hasn't the 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 national philosophy and the educational teachings it's giving isn't changing. You know, there's a reason why the University of Utah is called the university. In Greek, university means universal city. And so there's a thematic training system that goes on in every university in every 50 states. You know, there's a reason why there's the same books at every campus.
1: It's framing the debate, you know. I mean, what happens in the university is like... It's the same thing that happens in, in, in the news media. I mean, you frame the debate by creating the outside edges of the box. And once the outside edges are defined, anything inside of it is free. And it feels universal, you know. You're, we have freedom of speech in this country. We can talk about anything we want, you know. We can, we can explore any ideas we want right up until the point that they step outside, you know. Like this Snowden guy, you know. We've got Edward Snowden, who's like public enemy number one. Well, what did he do? He told the entire world the the inner workings of a manipulative system that has been not disclosed to the American people. This man should be looked at as a national hero, not an international criminal. He was the first person to stand up and say, hey, by the way, guys, behind closed doors, there's an entire system of manipulation that you're not being told about. And all of a sudden, he's this public enemy number one because he's telling people what the government has been trying to do behind closed doors. Like, that's not the country that we were framed on. You know, our country was framed on the ideas of open communication, of democratic uh, exchange of ideas, through uh, popular consent for spending of our communal resources. And all these ideas have been all thrown out the window. And, um, you know, I, I, I have great pride in the fact that we still have individuals in the system right now who are willing to put their own lives in danger to educate the masses about what's happening inside of the uh, the, the, the hollowed halls of our political structure.
3: To quote you, why do you think it was thrown out the window?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I think it really has to do with the system for success, uh, you know, that that I don't know what the quote is, but essentially people don't have the ability to rule themselves is what the popular consent is. If people were given the power to divine their own destiny, they'd probably screw it up. So, you know, in <laughs> stuff, Hey hey, guys, like you probably shouldn't drive 75 miles an hour on a city street. Well, that's probably true for a lot of people. Uh, but You know, if if I'm driving down the highway and there's nobody on the road for 15 miles and I haven't seen a car in 20 minutes and I decide to do 120, what what laws am I breaking? I mean, what what am I really doing wrong other than, oh, well, there's a posted speed limit. You know, like you can't step outside of this realm because you don't have enough control of yourself to be able to do it. turns out I can drive a car at 120 miles an hour just fine, and nobody died. And I didn't crash, and no one was killed, and, um, you know, Maybe that's an ignorant argument for what's okay, but I think that there's there's a there's a semblance of there's an assumption by government that people don't have the intelligence to accurately judge what's wrong and what's right, and um, I think that's a that's a flawed concept. It really is. I'd, I'd,
3: I'm not sure. I don't disagree with you on a lot of those aspects, but I, I would say to you that the politician or the highway patrolman or what you would call a reasonable law-minding citizen would say, well, if you're going 110 on a 70-mile-an-hour road, there is a designated reason why it's 70 miles an hour, and for you to go to 100 miles an hour only creates more of a real-life idea that there could be a tragic accident which the government then has to invest money in utility to fix and clean up, let alone the other financial burdens and pressures that will fall apart onto your family, right? And, you know, there's a trickle-down effect when oh, a young person dies.
1: Certainly. I mean, certainly. I mean, I recognize that. I mean, I was trying to more use a metaphor and, sure. you right. know, but, yes, there's many intricacies to the effect of one's life on the lives of the people around them. And, you know, I think one of the best definitions for freedom is, you know, your freedom stops at the point that it impedes someone else's freedom. If your, if your expression of freedom is impeding somebody else's ability to have their own freedom, well, then you have crossed that imaginary line. In lieu of us being able to experiment and understand where that line is, politics and law steps in to say, well, we've already figured it out. Okay, you can't do this, you can't do that you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, you know, we, we've seen those laws change and evolve in so many ways over the years that, you know, it's difficult to say, well, these laws are right because they were thought of by smart people and were put into place for our own best interest. You know, I mean, take take the legalization of, uh, of recreational marijuana in two states. You know, like, this is something which people have gone to jail over. They have been persecuted not just over, jail but prison been, for
3: 10 years 15 years life sentences for marijuana you know there are yeah, there's millions of people so yeah
1: and so you know i think that there's a you know there, there's an effect of the law and then there's an effect of the ramifications of that law being in place i mean how many lives were saved over the last 50 years by you know people watching reefer madness and realizing that like it's such a dangerous substance that we're going to go crazy and murder people if we, if we, if we enjoy it while we sit by and openly, openly support alcohol at sporting events. Our, our, our NASCAR teams are sponsored by beer. Like let's take somebody in a car driving 200 miles an hour and put a big beer on the front of it. And then we (laughs) wonder why people drive, you know, it's there, there's, there's subtle effects that aren't being looked at on the other end. And I think, uh, the reason they're not being looked at is they don't have any financial reason to. I mean, a lot of, in, in my humble opinion, much of the policy in this country is driven by financial gain. You know, the laws are in place to make sure that the money keeps flowing. They're not in place for our well-being. Nobody's proliferating. Uh, you know, like I, I saw a study the other day about the division of wealth in America. It's sickening. It's sickening. And the people who are at the higher end of that spectrum are the ones who are involved in our political system. They're the ones who have the power to change these laws. The people who are being affected by the laws don't have the power to have a, uh, a dialogue about them. And, you know, that that's a very fundamental rift in what could be a much more effective system. Like if there are problems for the majority of people and benefits for the few, well, we should – you know, restructure that a little bit, you know. But even saying that in this country screams communism. It's like, oh, how dare you? Obamacare is communism. Well, we, we don't even have a concept of communism. Communism has never even been applied as an, as, an effective, as an effective political system, let alone we call ourselves a democracy and then hide behind ourselves being a republic. You know, we tell everybody we're the freest country in the world when in the meantime our citizens are are not experiencing the kind of freedoms that we tend to out to the rest of the world.
3: No, I mean, we, we have have two people talking to each other who don't currently have health insurance and they both make pretty decent livings. It's just unaffordable.
1: Well, and, and we're going to be able to be persecuted or prosecuted rather for not having health insurance. Not only, not only do we not have it, which hasn't helped me very much, but not having it is now going to become illegal. What am I supposed to do? There's not extra work now that I need health insurance. It hasn't caused any of my uh, uh, employers to desire to get health insurance. It's, it's, uh, it's shifted the burden, sure, but shifting the burden just reframes the debate.
3: My stepfather it doesn't deal with the solution. My stepfather brought up an interesting uh, idea to me while over the holiday holidays when I went out there to see him. He said, you know, Sasha, if you get cancer, you're gonna bankrupt our family. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause we were having to talk about, uh, insurance and I looked at him and I would, I was like, well, you know, I don't need you to pay, you know, but that wasn't where he was coming from. He was just looking at it from a, you know, a guy that's retired. And he was like, dude, you have to get this insurance program because if you get cancer, like, what do we do? And that's a weird thing to say in a first world country is that, you know, for the first 25 years of my life, I'm allowed to have insurance under his policy. But as soon as that clock ticks over to 26, you're on your own kid. And it's like, well, yeah, but I got to pay rent and power and utilities. And I can't get a job of a director or producer or head engineer, because that takes 25 years to get, you have to learn it. But you've had me in school my whole time. And so there's, I think there's a real skill inequity in this country right now because of the way uh, a lot of people are uh, developed out of uh, grammar school and high school and college.
1: Yeah, there was that um, controversial article by, I don't know, the guy that does the show Dirty Jobs or whatever. Sure. Um, Mike Rowe. You know, about education versus, versus labor. And, you know, the, the type of skills required to do quality work are equally as difficult to ascertain as what we teach in our So, you know, there this is this is some country stuff. I mean, one of the reasons we're sending so much of our manufacturing jobs overseas is not just because the labor's cheaper, it's because the labor's cheaper and the work's better.
3: Well not and, only that, you know, but the, a, the pollution stays over there and the high manufacturing of injuries and you know, the destruction of human joints stays over there and isn't reflected in the media. Uh, if you go back and look in old um, books and there's documentaries and there's studies about, about the amount of environment, industrial accidents that occurred and the amount of death that occurred for men in the workforces in the, you know, 50s, 60s, early 70s, you know, that they say that's another reason why it was shipped overseas.
1: Yeah, be, but just, it's just turning, you know, it's turning a blind eye. It's like... And I think that, I think that you know, where we should be reaching to, especially as what we call ourselves the, the pillar of, of uh, the beacon of hope, we can't be looking and piling our garbage in somebody else's house. Like we have the resources to end hunger and poverty in this country overnight. Now, if we were capable of doing that, we'd have how many billions of people who would also have the ability to push that down the line, you know? It's rather than push the bad stuff down the line, it feels like, you know, our humanity would raise us to want to push the good stuff down the line, you know? Bring people, why would people have to live in a third world country because if we require it? We rec- we need third world countries to have a successful economy. Well, is the economy worth that much? It's not worth it to me. You know, I would like to see a lot more responsibility for, you know, these companies that are making billions on billions of dollars in places like South Africa and in Ghana, where they're just leaving oil all over the ground, and there's no environmental regulations, the government can be paid off because they're so poor, even though we know better, we're like, oh, but they're cool with it, so, you know, they need the money, we're helping them out, when we're destroying our natural environment at such a high rate that our money's not going to be able to buy us air, you know? So I, let I me watch space ball and, um, the scene where the, uh, the leader of uh, space world space City, <laughs> is like carrying cracked the to top and it's the only clean air you have to suck out of a can. And you know, I mean, 20 years ago, they laughed at people for bottling water. They didn't think it'd be an industry. Now you can't even drink the water out of the tap in most of this country. You know, in our own country, we can't drink the tap water. Like, that's a, that's a huge setback in growth and development for even a developed nation, that we have to carry water to our homes in order to live in them. Like, we may as well be living in a mud hut getting water to the clean river. That's, that's a better lifestyle in many ways.
3: I agree with that, that principle. I I see it every day in this city. I live in a snow-capped mountain with one of the most abundant water supplies in the world, you know, in terms of, and I watch it being killed every day. Not only with fluoride, but with uh, excessive runoff and people putting uh, Kentucky bluegrass in a desert, you know, it's like, why are we putting Kentucky bluegrass in a desert climate? It makes no sense. I know it's pretty. It's aesthetically pleasing, but...
1: Yeah, speaking of, I don't remember where I heard this, but I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and I'm sure you've noticed, as almost everyone has, who eats yogurt. Any, All you yogurt eaters out there, many <laughs> of you still don't eat Greek yogurt, because everybody I know now eats Greek yogurt. It's thicker. Well, it turns out that these companies that are essentially all you're doing is spinning the water out of the yogurt. You're making it more solid and they're dumping this slurry, and the uh, the yogurt slurry from these Greek yogurt factories is actually suffocating all of the plant life because all of these, you know, active, um, active acidophilus, whatever that active bacteria is in yogurt, <laughs> being dumped with this slurry of water that's like, it's killing the environment, and here, you know, it's just these funny little trends that happen, like, you know, people love Greek yogurt for four years, and what does that do? It destroys a million acres worth of farmland because we decided that we wanted less water in our yogurt.
3: So we are up at the end. I have to go to a mandatory break because I, Paul, I we just ran right through one because I haven't figured out how to do that part yet. So, but I got to throw it back to Dad. Um, we got to say goodbye to you. I'll call you up in a minute. And um, but you're Dakota. Force, your co-host of Old Ute Radio at Keyute.org. We're gonna get into this, but we're gonna get it we're gonna get it really going once we get this thing technically understood and go back and forth in a reasonable manner. So get it together, Google. Figure this out. Figure it out for me, because that's what I want. I want Google to do it all for me. I want to call in an engineer and say, Hey, make me sound good. I don't want to put effort into it. So with that, I bid you adieu. I love you, and I thank you listeners for uh, tuning in, and uh, please uh, hit us up at uh, our various tweets and Twitters and Facebooks and all that.
1: Thank you all. We'll see you again.
3: Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Bye. And for all of you going live, we're going to turn on Standing on the Moon by Grateful Dead, so I hope you enjoy that.